National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. The month-long meeting of Catholics at the Vatican, known as the Synod on Synodality, ended last weekend with the issuing of the Synod's Synthesis Report. The report, however, marking the close of this assembly, didn't actually draw many conclusions. So, what's the result of this gathering? What's next? And why should it matter for Catholics in the pews? To provide some answers to these questions and some perspective from the ground in Rome, we are joined by the Register's senior editor, Jonathan Liedel. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency. I'm your host here on Register Radio. I'm grateful to have my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, with me again. He's EWTN News' Vice President and Editorial Director. Matthew spent a good part of the, the, the last month in Rome. Matthew, welcome back. Thank you very much. Very happy to be back. It was so good to have your reporting, along with Catherine Hadro and Father Raymond D'Souza, another Register contributor, um, on special report on the Synod. You were reporting for EWTN, and it was, it was really good shows that last week, so thank you for all that. So this Synod Assembly met for nearly a month, so October 4th through the, to, until the October 28th, and that makes for a very long meeting, but in that, in that final week, we really saw a very aggressive agenda. They tried to accomplish a lot. Basically, you know, more than uh, 450 people had to agree on a final synthesis report. That proved to be a bit difficult in the end, uh, although we did get a 42-page document in English uh, that included um, points of convergence, um, divergence, and proposals, um, some kind of homework, I guess, for the next year. When the we Synod hope. meet, meet, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the Synod meets again October 2024. Um, so, let's bring Jonathan on into this call, this conversation. Jonathan, uh, it's so good to have you on the ground in Rome. You're still there, and you'll be there um, for the register for a few more months. Uh, you covered the the whole of this uh, of this Synod gathering. Let's start, Jonathan, with a high-level summary of this synthesis mm -hmm. document. What was in it? Yeah, that's right. So the Synod document, uh, really kind of one way to think about it, is it's reimagining uh, the entire Catholic Church through this lens <laughs> of synodality, right? So it's, uh, you know, it's structures, uh, it's ministries, everything through this idea of how can people more fully participate for the sake of mission. So it's a 42-page document. And it's really it addresses 20 different themes, everything from seminary formation to the role of bishops, the role of women. Um, but in terms of what it concretely says, I would say one of the big takeaways is it, it says we need to keep talking about a lot of this mm. stuff, right? Because, uh, you know, it, it was the final uh, synthesis of this month-long assembly. But, of course, there's another assembly com coming up in a year, right, uh, in, in October 2024, where I think things will get a little more concrete. So a theme you see running through uh, this synod document is that, you know, we we need to continue thinking about, um, you know, we need to establish commissions, right, to think about uh, how synodality might affect, um, you know, the way uh, bishops' conferences are run, or how they might affect the, the synod of bishops itself. And also, we need further study on what synodality itself is, right? That was one of the fascinating themes that emerged in this document. There's affirmation that synodality is the, the way forward. It's this constitutive part of the life of the church. But 
there's still a lot of lack of clarity uh, kind of on, on what it is even. So I, I think one big takeaway is that, um, yeah, it called for the conversation to continue. One one thing that a participant told me that I, I think kind of helps give an understanding of, of where, where we're at um, is that we're kind the church is kind of engaging in like a choose your own adventure. Uh, That's right. Except no one no one's written the book yet. <laughs> so right. uh, there's just a lot of a lot of unknowns, uh, I think, in the in this process. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because I think the, the results so far, on the one hand, people can look at it and say, oh, well, nothing, nothing much changed. You know, there's there's calls to further conversation, further study on a host of issues, including women's diac and priestly celibate, think, priestly celibacy, things like that. Um, but on the other hand, people can can say, well, because that conversation is still continuing, we can still expect big changes or push for big changes. So it's really one of those things where you can read into uh, the results of this initial uh, report um, kind of what you want. Right. Yeah, this, I actually, uh, I was going to turn to you, Matthew. Yes, yeah. I was going to turn to you because you have covered synods in the past. This was Jonathan's um, first one on the ground there. Uh, what did you see that emerged that is really quite different in, in this final process or in this process? Well, I think the, the most striking uh, was the participation of lay people, of men and women religious as voting members, uh, right. 54 women. I think that's significant. Uh, we can look at that uh, in its own right as a remarkable development but it does raise significant questions uh, that Jonathan touched on about what now is the Synod of Bishops. This is officially the 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops on synodality. But going forward, what is this? It is a transformation before our very eyes. And I think it was Cardinal Tobin who made the observation that this is sort of like building a plane while you're in the air. <laughs> mm -hmm. And... To that, then, what do the next months bring, and what does this look like when we're back here? Because all of the same participants are coming back. So what are their expectations? And we're still hazy about two key things. And, and Jonathan, I'd love your, your thoughts on this. The first is, this document felt it necessary to put in another stab at a definition of synodality. So if we're still not clear about that at the end of a month-long session and two years of preparation, what does that say? Uh, and the other is, what are the expectations going forward in concrete terms for what the participants are supposed to do when they go home? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think on that point of the, you know, taking another stab at the definition, it does, I think, Matthew, raises this this kind of, um, I don't know, interesting paradox where it seems like on the one hand we're being told, uh, that this is absolutely essential. That what we're what we're doing here, like clearly, is in the DNA of the church. It's clearly been there since the beginning. It maybe wasn't practiced for a while, but now we're bringing it out. And so, you know, even as you as you talk about the participation of so many non bishops, twenty seven percent of the people voting in the synod were non bishops. Even that new element, right? You know, Cardinal Blaise Supich from Chicago, for instance, said, "There's no going back." Right? This is the way synods are going to be going forward. So you have like a kind of confidence on the one hand that this is, uh, that, that things are getting concrete and that there is this clarity about what we're doing. But on the other hand, the document itself in, in a number of ways and a number of instances says, well, we still need to flesh this out. And in fact, it even acknowledged, right, that there have been a lot of people, uh, including a lot of uh, parish priests and others who, who haven't been on board uh, the process, right, who have not fully participated. Of course, we know this Senate Assembly 
came after uh, a number of stages uh, on the diocesan level, the national level, the continental level. So a lot of consultation going on and less than 1% of Catholics worldwide participated in that. So I, I think it's this interesting dynamic where the, the, the proponents of the synod um, are talking about it both with a, a kind of overwhelming confidence, but then also acknowledging that the process hasn't been that smooth, right? And that there that there's still very open questions and a need to get uh, some clarity on things as well. And internally, the, uh, the the final report itself, uh, we were told, is not going to be offering concrete proposals, and yet each of the sections had proposals. So it, yeah, there seems it, over 81, kind of 80, internal, 81 proposals. Exactly. So there seems to be a certain internal tension uh, within the document itself uh, as we're going forward. And then, we, I mean, I think there's a question, uh, maybe, Jeanette, this is what you're going to ask, but what do those proposals mean, right? Like, who are, <laughs> who, are, who are these being proposed to, right? Because this is the first foot to drop on a, on a, a two-foot, uh, you know, synodal experience, right? So we'll have that. Uh, meeting in October where people, there will really be a final document uh, produced that is offered to the Holy Father with concrete proposals for how to make the church more synodal. Um, But so many of these proposals, it's really, uh, you know, unclear um, who's meant to take them up and and what they'll look like. So I think that's one one big unanswered question in the next 11 months. Right. And Jonathan, what I was going to say is there, you know, Matthew spoke of tensions within the document. Well, we know there were a lot of tensions um, in that final week. I mean, really throughout the whole month, we we began to hear about some of those tensions. But in the last week, as I said in the introduction, it was an uh, ambitious agenda, right, to, to get all of these people to um, agree on this final synthesis. Uh, and we know there was a draft that um, ended up, I think your story reported uh, where there were uh, over 1,100 proposed amendments to the initial document. So it changed greatly. What were some of the tensions that we know from reports, um, news reports, or, or even our own conversations were taking place in that final week? Yeah, I think a, a few big ones um, that, that have been definitely in the press a lot um, relate to questions of human sexuality. Uh, so that that's something we, we know because we know that there were people who went to the synod saying, you know, we want to uh, kind of, you know, who stated an agenda and, you know, use the term LGBTQ and we want to make the church more inclusive and more uh, pastoral in the sense. So there was a lot of tensions and we, we got some of this through the press briefing, some of some of it through leaks and conversations that were happening inside the Synod Hall of very different views on how the church can be uh, pastoral and loving to those who experiencing those experience same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. So in terms of, you know, it's really, this is, I think, a really interesting point to, to look at. The Instrumentum Laboris, the working document that the organizers of the Synod lay out at the beginning of the whole process, it includes the term LGBTQ uh, people, right? Then we see the initial draft of the summary document uh, that the writers put together. It changes from LGBTQ people to people who identify as LGBTQ. But then the final version that's voted on after those uh, 1,251 amendments are taken in removes uh, any mention of LGBTQ at all, which we know is is something very contentious. It's a, it's a problematic conception of the human person and sexuality. 
Um, so the reports are that, that there was a lot of pushback, right, from people participating in the synod, bishops from Africa, bishops from Eastern Europe, uh, on including this terminology. So that was definitely one kind of point of tension that the final document seek, uh, sought to resolve, right, by removing that term. Uh, I think another question, um, it, it, definitely the role of women, right, that that was another uh, big topic that was pushed and, and discussed more in the media, perhaps, uh, than, than inside the Senate Hall, or at least in terms of this question of ordination, right? Does the church have the ability uh, to or sacramentally ordain women? Of course, the church has affirmed, John Paul II affirmed, Pope Francis has affirmed, right, that there is not that ability. Um, but there was a, yeah, I think a lot of tension inside the Senate Hall. Not a lot of tension, but I would say from what I heard from people on the inside is there was a very small but very vocal group of people pushing uh, for for something concrete on that issue. And I think what we saw um, in some sense is both a, a kind of, a, a, a I think, a twofold thing. One, we saw uh, in the final document this question of uh, maybe maybe we can, maybe the, the diaconate, right, it's connected to holy orders, right? It's connected to sacramental ordination. Is there a way of thinking about the diaconate that's not connected to that? And how does that play into the question of women deacons? Um, but then also... Like I said before, I think the, the end proposal there that, that we're talking about was to simply study the issue some more. And Pope Francis, of course, has had two commissions on this question of women and the diaconate. So there, in the proposal, there was even a call uh, to, make the, to make the findings of those studies public. So I, I think there were tensions, and it seems to me that the way the synod organizers, the writers, resolved those tensions and got people to vote uh, for these document, for the document, every paragraph needed two-thirds of approval, was to kind of put things in a sort of ambiguous way, like we're going to keep talking about this, we're going to keep th uh, focusing on it, um, but without anything uh, necessarily concrete. So in a sense, just kind of kicking uh, the can down the road. Mm -hmm. Well, and Pope Francis himself <clears throat> joked a few years ago that if uh, in the church, if you want to make sure that nothing ever happens, form commissions to study it. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and here we have uh, several commissions coming out. Yes. But it was also remarkable that in that final week, uh, we had the publication of a book uh, by Pope Francis, uh, originally in the Spanish back in June, that seemed to have escaped almost everyone's notice. But here we have this Italian language edition in which Pope Francis very clearly affirms the Church's teachings on the ordination of women. And then we had, mm -hmm. at various press briefings, statements from uh, church leaders such as Cardinal Robert Prevost, uh, the head of the Dicastery for Bishops, also reiterating, and, and going even beyond that to talk about the, the threats and problems that could be created by the clericalization of lay people, women in particular. So there seemed to be, uh, Jonathan, I'd like your take on this, the, a kind of a, a very clear mood swing in that last week uh, to make it clear that some of these proposals were being obviously floated uh, during the Senate, as you said, by a small vocal group. Simply, there, there was no appetite for it uh, by the wider body of the participants. Yeah, and I think the, the point you make, uh, Matthew Cardinal Prevost, right, it, it wasn't just sort of um, the more expected and known, if you will, conservative voices who were, who were raising concerns about this idea that, oh, if we ordain women, we're going to solve all our problems, right? But it really started to emerge. I think we've seen it from um, a number of different cardinals, right, that 
uh, that we've kind of lost sight of what it what it might mean for for co-responsibility, full participation in the life of the church, but in a way that that respects uh, the different vocations to which we're called to. And you know, one of the voices that that emerged on this topic, who I know. EWTN News had the pleasure of talking to, the, the National Catholic Register did an interview with, uh, is Dr. Renee Kohler-Ryan, uh, a philosopher from Australia, um, who, who really emerged during the Synod, I think, as a, uh, she's a mother of five, she's a, an expert on, on uh, St. Edith Stein, and she really emerged as this, this voice saying that, yes, we do need to think seriously about the gifts of women, the feminine genius that John Paul II talked about, and how the Church can better serve them, how, how their gifts can be incorporated into the Church's mission of evangelization. But we're not going to do that by, by, as you put it, Matthew, clericalizing women, right? By using a very secular idea of power and trying to impose it onto the Church and her ministry. She had a great line in my conversation with her where she said, well, if you think, uh, you know, that, you know, you might have you might think you have a calling to something, but if there's not a calling from something, right, from the church for women deacon, deacon, deaconesses, right, we might have a bit of a problem there, right? There might be a, an issue. So I think, yeah, I think to me, it, it almost, I don't want to say it, it, we know what the church has taught definitively, right? Um, and so I don't want, it's already established, but it seems to me, Matthew and Jeanette, uh, that this question of ordaining women, right, uh, it's already been closed, but it, it should be closed even further, right? It, it's like, I, I don't I don't want, you know, this this book with Pope Francis that you talked about, Matthew, it seems like people just continue to ask the same questions, the same questions, right. the same Expecting questions different answers. that have already been definitively <laughs> okay. closed in, in a number of different directions. And if anything, I think what the Synod seems to have said on on, on the question uh, of of uh, women's sacramental ordination uh, it, it shouldn't be a question anymore we shouldn't be asking it anymore the church doesn't have the capacity to do that but also it is saying that there is a place for women um, and this is a, uh, an opportunity uh, to understand better uh, where they contribute, where women contribute mm -hmm. in, in the church, and in ways that they can contribute. And, and, and some of that takes creativity. Some of it takes using uh, structures that already exist um, and figuring out the best way to elevate um, uh, the wom a woman's voice. Uh, and we've had people who've talked about um, the, the fact that these documents don't really mention motherhood. Carrie Grass, mm. who's a uh, mm -hmm. a, a philosopher wrote in the register's pages the need for um, motherhood to be a part of the discussion in uh, the synodal mm -hmm. discussions, right? So there's a lot there yeah. related to how women participate in the church and how their voice can be increased. I do want to point to your uh, article, Jonathan, on the Synod uh, Summary Report. It's called Synod on Synodality 2023. Summary Report calls for greater co-responsibility in the church and changes to decision-making. Um, we are talking here on Register Radio about the closing of the Synod on Synodality, at least its first session at the Vatican last weekend. We're talking to Jonathan Liedel and Matthew Bunsen uh, about their reporting on this topic uh, here on Register Radio on EWTN. Jonathan, I did want to move a little bit to a, a, a rather curious question. You know, we had these votes <laughs> on 
the document, but it was very clear from the beginning that the Synod organizers and Pope Francis didn't want this to be like a parliamentary uh, process. Like it's it's not like mm -hmm. Parliament. It's not like Congress. These votes are are different. What do they represent? Yeah, well, I think there there was even a rumor, uh, and I know this is something we talked about before, that uh, the Synod Assembly would not approve this final report by voting, uh, mm -hmm. but that there might be some other <laughs> uh, other way of approving it, maybe by acclamation, by applause. Um, we know, for instance, uh, that the Synod Assembly wrote a letter to the people of God in the final week of the Synod proceedings, just a short letter um, kind of uh, expressing um what was, you know, what the, the members, the Synod delegates uh, wanted faithful Catholics back home to hear. And initially that letter uh, from what people on the inside told us was approved by 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 acclamation, by, by people clapping. And the, mm -hmm. the people, the organizers took that, okay, this letter is approved, right? And then they tried to pass it through, but then people complained and so they needed to vote on it. So I think you're, you're right, Jeanette, that even though Pope Francis has emphasized this is not a parliament, right? Uh, there, there still is voting, right? There still mm -hmm. is this way of indicating approval or not. I think uh, on, on the question of, of what these votes mean, I think that the, the Pope's emphasis on it not becoming a parliament was to, to emphasize that this isn't about one faction versus another faction vying for power. What does, what's the significance of, of these votes and the, uh, and the outcome, right? Uh, in terms of having this body of bishops and non-bishops, lay people as well. So I think it, I mean, we can just take it for what it is, is what I would say. Um, you know, this is what was a unique assembly. I think we should stop calling it a synod of bishops, right? It was a unique consultative assembly, which the Pope called together, and it's certainly his prerogative to do that. Um, and, and so I think the votes, they, they simply signify what the the different people in the room from the, you know, the, the most senior cardinal, right, to the the youngest layperson, right? And there was a young, uh, young college student from Wyoming who participated in it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think the votes um, they signify what what the assembly, uh, what they what they viewed on, on these different issues. Uh, and I think we shouldn't put too much more stock into them, right? Like there there was an attempt to say that this synod has the authority to kind of speak on behalf of the entire people of God. Uh, but as we know, the, those low participation rates in the preceding stages of the Synod on Synodality draw that into question. So I think there is some some ambiguity about um, what exactly these results signify. Uh, and of course, at the end of the day, it's it's the Pope who who will take whatever comes out of this uh, Synodal Assembly uh, and and make his decision on what to do after that. Well, jumping from the transformation in some ways of the Synod of Bishops before our very eyes in this Synod, Let's talk, if we can, Jonathan, about synodal structures, because there's a lot of emphasis, even in this summary document, about synodal structures being sort of layered over uh, the, the current structures in the church. From what you've seen in this report, what's your takeaway in, in terms of changes to church structure and the, the implications or potential implications for changing church teaching? Yeah, you're right, Matthew. There is, the, uh, I, I think... We, we see this on every level, right? This idea that in order for co-responsibility in the church to come into force, we need to have, uh, yeah, these synodal uh, consultative groups at every level of the church. Um, I think what, something interesting is that a lot of U.S. bishops we talked to said, listen, all this is already there, right? Like, 
post-Vatican II, we're already doing things like having pastoral councils, uh, you know, diocesan advisory boards. I talked to Bishop Kevin Rhodes from from uh, Fort Wayne, South Bend, Indiana. He said, I'd be stupid, right, not to be consulting widely. And he does right. consult widely. So I think in some ways, I think the question this raises is, wait a minute, like, aren't we already doing this? At least in the U.S., I think we are. I can't think of a single parish that doesn't have a pastoral council. Um, you know, the synod document calls for those to become mandatory in canon law, but they're already widely practiced. So are we just talking about doing the things we already do better or the things that are already there uh, in the church's repertoire, like to do them better? Or are we talking about the creation of, of new bodies? And uh, I think this is an ambiguity still in the document and even our understanding of synodality. What is the relationship between the bishop? Right, the you know who is the the shepherd of a local church who has this sure charism to teach, govern, and sanctify. When we talk about synodality, when we talk about co-responsibility in decision making, uh, are we talking about simply ensuring that he's hearing from different people in his local church, or are we talking about uh, the creation of new structures where a, a bishop, in order to teach, for instance, needs to consult with lay people? Right and and needs lay people to vote on, you know, their expression uh, of what um, what the church's teaching is. Jonathan, you wrote a great um, analysis, news analysis. Um, I'm going to point our readers to listeners to it. A synodal long game question mark changing structure to change doctrine. This gets into exactly what you were talking about. Where where are we headed in all of this? Uh, this is going to be a busy year. We'll have a lot more reporting. Um, to to basically show why in some parts of the world they may not be having these pastoral councils and things that we have in the U.S., um, Africa, maybe down in South America. These are areas that need to grow in that synodality. So there's, there's a lot of reporting to do, and I'm grateful for both of you in the role you've played in, in reporting on this synod assembly. Remember, for more news analysis and commentary, to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello, and I pray that until next week, God blesses you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you need your news on the go, read the Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully.